0: Welcome to the Make Disciples Podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Welcome back to another episode of the Make Disciples Podcast. Once again, I'm Dan Rober, uh, and I am happy to be here again with Mike Shockey. Mike, how you doing? I'm
1: doing great, Dan. Thank doing, you very much. Doing all right. Feeling a little silly this morning for a conversation about the virtuous life yeah i've just recently uh, listened to winnie the pooh uh on uh, audible okay uh, so the the story of winnie the pooh kind of the original one and it's pretty awesome uh and it makes you just feel a little silly yeah. I, I identify very closely with both winnie the pooh and tigger as it turns out so having good humor has a virtue right <laughs> i think it is yeah and i don't have any stuff i've got to deal with with winnie the yeah. pooh right It's just nice,
0: clean, fun. So let's start the virtuous life with Winnie the Pooh. Well, you have uh, mentioned it, and that is indeed what we're talking about, the concept of the virtuous life. As we think about the spiritual disciplines, uh, one of the things that is frequently overlooked in my mind is this idea of the pursuit of virtue. And in my mind, one of the reasons why it's overlooked is because of, uh, frankly, a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because anytime we start talking about this idea of works, it's saying that you're moving away from what the gospel is and that, you know, you're saved by nothing that you do. And we would completely agree with that. But at the exact same time, while we say that we're saved by faith alone, we should also say that the faith that saves is never alone. And we can also say that uh, the only real clear evidence that we have in our lives and other people's lives of saving faith is holy living. It gives us this indication that God is changing us. And so Paul gives us these commands of uh, pursuing virtue and uses a lot of different uh, terminology to talk about that. And I'm getting ahead of myself. We can talk more about that. But I want to dive into this a little bit. What do we mean in Christianity, uh, Mike, about this concept of a virtuous life and pursuing a virtuous life?
1: I think uh, on the surface, where we are witnesses for Christ uh, to a world that does not believe in him, that has to be enlivened by God in order to believe in him, the virtuous life, in many ways, just in an exterior fashion, tends to be the the shining light, as it were, tends to be the uh, the the switch thrown for the Holy Spirit to enliven that unbelieving person when they see our virtuous lives, even if at some point they have made fun of, you know, ridiculed our virtuous lives. Um, the passages I'm working on in Scripture right now with our First Peter series is that, you know, plenty of people are going to look at your virtuous life and They're going to ridicule you for not jumping into their debauchery. Hmm. There's a shame that sometimes comes over Christians because uh, the world shames them for their virtue. And nevertheless, there is a point at which two criminals are on a cross. And if you put the different gospels together, you you have to do that in order to come to this conclusion. You see that in in one of the Gospels, both criminals are uh, criticizing Christ, are condemning him, are mocking him. And then Jesus uh, says out loud, by sense of his virtue, "Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. If ever there is such a thing as virtue, it's in the fact that as someone, in this case Jesus is being put to death, he is forgiving and not condemning those that are putting him to death. Well, that statement changes the mind of one of those criminals. And so, whereas that criminal was shaming him previously, now he has turned around and God has said, that's a means by which I'm going to enliven his heart, and he's going to come to Christ. And he turns and says to the other criminal, don't you fear God even when you're dying. In other words, everything we've been doing here is wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Hey, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And I think that's huge. I I think virtue is not only for us, and we can get into that in just a moment, not only for us, uh, but it is, I believe, if not more so for the world around us. And on that note, if we believe that virtue or living a virtuous life is only for us, then right away, we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit inside of us to um, kind of keep track of that. Because on the one hand, if we're not very virtuous, and yet we are truly Christians and the Spirit is at work in us, and that is a possibility, right? That goes on all the time. Then we can fall into the despair of wondering if we're still Christians. Now, many would argue that You couldn't have that concern at a deep level if you weren't truly a Christian, right? That's the Holy Spirit at work because the non regenerate person without the Holy Spirit can't even have that kind of deep concern. Sure. Nevertheless, it's a despair that keeps us from our duty, right? You fall into a despair that just says, well, as William Bridge talks about in the 1600s, you fall into an unserviceableness, into a miscarriage of duties. You know, I'm no good for the kingdom. I, I can't get over my my sexual sin. I can't get over my um, my anger. I can't get over my greed or any of those kinds of things. And so therefore, what good am I to the kingdom? On the other hand, in terms of what virtue, uh, if we think that it's about what it does for us, if we think that that our virtuous life is somehow making us better for God, Or making us better than others, and that happens plenty as well. We begin to not take stock then of the sin that still is in our lives, and we begin to pay attention mostly to the things that we're doing on the outside. And that then makes us blind to the fact that there is always, as Christ assures us, as God assures us, as In 1 John, for instance, uh, the very first chapter, if we say that we do not have sin in us or that we do not sin, we're liars. We're to confess our sin, right? And therefore, with that being said, uh, we can become blinded. And I think coming back to the way you started this, we must always have our doing being based on our being. The Christians of history all agree affirmatively that in God's economy for the Christian, for that regenerate person with Christ alive inside of them by way of the Holy Spirit, being is always more important than doing. But the doing will be a natural consequence or a natural, logical outworking of the being. You cannot have one without the other.
0: Yeah. In that regard, I, I tend to think about the virtues myself as uh, a very natural outworking and i point to the fruit of the spirit. If God is working in our lives, if we are keeping in step with the spirit, then we're going to be growing in things like love, and joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I'm completely missing one in there. So let me ask you uh, a question
1: yeah. though on that note. We say that, and that is true as a rule. But what does the growth look like? And i ask it rhetorically. Does the growth look like you're on a graph in a conference room at a business meeting? And does the growth in Christ look like this, you know, sure, ascending, never dipping, never wavering kind of line that's going to a pinnacle? It does not. The growth is so frequently up and then down, forward and then back again, sometimes back again further than the forward carried us and then forward again, and then back again. This is tantamount to Paul saying, uh, this guy who we we would arguably say is the most sanctified Christian to ever live on the face of the earth. I think we could make that argument. A guy who saw God, who saw the third heaven, as it were, who was there. But in the midst of seeing that, he nevertheless says, Hey, I've got a thorn in my flesh, Lord, from Satan, right? To buffet me, to keep me from, you know, being conceited about the things that you're doing in me, as it were. And I want you to take it away. In other words, like we do, I could be so much better for your kingdom. If you would just take this lust away, take this anger away, take this greed or you know, coveting or whatever it is. Take it away. I could be so much better. And what, what does God say to Paul as he says to so many of us? And speaking of growth, I'm not going to take it away because my grace is sufficient for you doesn't mean, oh, well, God's just arbitrarily not going to take it away because it's cool that I do the stupid thing and he's just going to have grace, you know, on me because, <laughs> because, you know, he's just having grace. That is incorrect. His grace is sufficient for us because the dumb thing that is still left with us, that besetting sin or those besetting sins, that thorn or those thorns in our flesh are absolutely part of our growth. Yeah. Because God is saying those very things that I choose, I'm the one who overcomes your sin in you. You don't overcome your sin by some virtuous life. Granted, live it, but that's not what's overcoming your sin. And if I decide in my sovereignty, in my goodness as your father, to leave you with it, it's because I know that it is the thing that brings you back to me for the dependence that I call you to have upon me every single time. Even if you do the stupid thing over and over and over, and then eventually, six months later, six hours later, six years later, you come back to me, I left it with you for a reason doesn't mean God is okay with the sin, but it does mean that he is sovereign over it. So the virtuous life, I think, has to be qualified in the sense of what it's producing. The virtuous life surely says, on the one hand, to the world around us, I am a Christian and I do live differently. I at least intend to live differently, even if I don't do it perfectly. And on the inside, the virtuous life is something that we must Measure carefully by means of the Holy Spirit so that we don't become too desperate when we don't live it well or too conceited and haughty when we do
0: live it well. Yeah. I hope that's helpful. I think that's really helpful and gets us to this last question um, that you kind of pointed to. I think that the uh, how is this measured or determined in a Christian life, recognizing that it's not going to be a straightforward, victorious life constantly, that there will be struggles, or will be moving forward and taking a step back. But do you think it's fair to say that we live a more virtuous life through uh, reflection, simply thinking about how we're living and considering it in light of what God tells us to do and not to do?
1: 100%. Tell me, Dan, when's the last time you were right in the midst of your anger About something, right in the midst of your lust about something, right in the midst of whatever sin you were in the midst of, and you were able to think clearly about God's grace in your life, about His mercy, and how all of a sudden it just solved that entire problem, and it's as though you were changed in an instant. That can happen. We see it happen in Scripture from time to time. But for the most part, I think we're more like David, who knows very well that his sin is heinous, and yet it takes him more than a year. As a matter of fact, he never comes to God. It's God who comes to him through the prophet Nathan. And then, in hindsight, he begins to see the mercy that God has always had. And it's not a desperate kind of plea on David's part. It's a hopeful and knowing kind of plea when he can say in the same breath, I have sinned against you and you alone. I know that everything that I've done is wrong, and yet restore to me the joy of your salvation. Purge me and clean me. And as Psalm 25 would say, do not consider the sins of my youth. When I was silent, Psalm 32, this is all David, right? When I was silent, your hand was heavy against me. And yet when I came forward about these things, you absolutely forgave me, and you cleansed me, and and you did these kinds of things. I think that's how we do comes to uh, the reflection over our sin. We almost never, if only rarely, see God at work until the thing is done, the mistakes are made, and we begin to look back and we think in one breath, "Oh no, how can I have been like that?" And the next word is. Thank you, God, that you keep me, because if I were you, I would not keep me, and yet you mm. keep me.
0: Yeah. I appreciate the uh, reflection from uh, Samuel, especially since we're studying through Second Samuel ah. this uh, semester as well. So yes. uh, that's very helpful. Yes, that's good. Well, this is just an introduction to the virtuous life, and it's something that we're going to be working on uh, our entire lives, and it's important to- I'm uh, almost through it, though. That. That's the important oh, thing. You're almost I've, there? I've almost
1: completed my sanctification course, and so when I get there, I'll let everybody know
0: how it feels. You'll be mature and complete, <laughs> not lacking anything? Is that what you're
1: talking about? That is a complete and unmitigated fabrication. I am nowhere near the- <laughs>
0: Well, we'll work together Uh, on it and keep on going. Well, thank you once again, Mike, for joining us for this episode. And uh, thank you to our listeners. We're happy to uh, provide this resource for you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Make Disciples Podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. My thanks to Catherine Eckhart, the producer of this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida.